Janko. Long time no talk. What's up, Carlo? Oh, there's a few things going on right now in the space. How are you? <laughs> Good. Good. Um, is it true that there's not a hearing until February? That okay, SBF so I, I got to start right out. Yeah, let's get the let's get no the big pleasant. elephant out of the way. No pleasantries. All right. Well, and, so and everybody, I wanna, welcome. I want to cap it at like fifteen seconds because okay. then we want to do our real show. But like, it's really till like there's no more discussion till February. He's in that prison. Well, so here's the thing: he made a request for bail pending extradition. That would certainly be the ideal situation for him because he would get to stay out of custody on pretrial release in the Bahamas while his attorneys hash out his opposition to extradition. Extradition is a pretty cut and dry thing. I mean, you can challenge it as far as the identity of the person. You can challenge it with respect to whether the charges match up to or are counterparts to foreign charges. In other words, You generally have treaties between countries for extradition, and they won't extradite unless they have a sort of uh, parity of the charges. And then you can also make arguments that to extradite the person would trigger cruel and unusual punishment, which is sort of the Julian Assange argument. But the problem is, since he didn't get bail, he's going to be sitting in a Bahamian jail, and that's not really doing much to move his case or his defense forward. So he's going to have to make a decision now whether he wants to ride this out in custody in the Bahamas with a, quite frankly, I think there's going to be a lot of cooperation between the U.S. and the Bahamian government on this extradition. So it's quite possibly a losing fight, which is just going to prolong and potentially result in a very uncomfortable period of detention for him. So yeah, there is a status hearing in February but I would predict he could agree up, prior. Yeah, because depending okay. upon what I his understand. confinement looks like, that might incentivize him to agree a lot sooner and get put on a nice, comfortable plane and flown back to the United States. But that that speedy trial game that you said that is going on in the background, would the U.S. now just kind of say, OK, we'll wait till February? Well, there's an argument to be made, but the the problem is speedy trial is something that can be told when you are hashing out certain issues. So I would imagine the government's position would be that since he's opposing extradition, he can't have it both ways. He can't cry foul for not getting a speedy trial and also oppose being brought to the very, you know, you can't pick a jury in the Bahamas, so you can't have it all. Precisely. So so the U.S. may now except an early one they may say okay we'll take you in february so then our clock doesn't start but i want to move on that that was a great stand and deliver that you weren't expecting carlo um i was just shocked that that february was the next kind of calendar date and it looks like it is we have special guests so if you want to do intros um yeah we can absolutely i didn't want to derail the convo no no very timely question um it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds and I bet if he reaches a decision, they'll they'll move up that court date. But yeah, I agree. Let's get to the meat of the matter today. Welcome, everyone, to Lex Line, brought to you by Carlo and Jenko. We bring it in conjunction with Rug Radio, where we talk about legal 
events and updates in the Web3 blockchain and crypto space. We do it every Tuesday through Friday, 1230 Eastern. If you all will be kind enough to retweet the space today, because we do have a very special guest in the house, our good friend, Moish Peltz. Moish is based in New York and is a Web3 IP lawyer, very, very active in this space. And he wrote an interesting blog post that he created in conjunction with AI chatbot generator. And I read it. I know you read it, Jenko. It's a fascinating thing. And he raises the question of going forward, what are the copyright implications of generating AI-driven text content? And Moish, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself as well. And I'm really, really thrilled, as I know I speak for Jenko on this. We are thrilled to have you in the house today. So thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Carlo. Thank you, Jenko. Thanks for the the introduction and providing me uh, a stage here during uh, I think what's been a pretty whirlwind seventy two hours in in the non IP crypto space. So so I, I also shared uh, Jenko's uh, questions as to wait 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 <laughs> you're saying we're, we're waiting until February, but you know if we can put that stuff aside, I think there's there's some equally interesting IP developments um, going on. You know, this is really, I think, the thread that's been going on for more than a couple of years at this point in terms of the emergence of artificial intelligence. And that, that kind of ties back in the IP space, I think, f- further back, right? There, there's, there's lots of really interesting... Did I get rugged there? No, I think you're good. I think we just brought Ellie up. Ellie, okay. Ellie came up, which might have triggered a little bit of a mute, but you're good. There you go. <laughs> no, um, go but yeah, anyways, uh, you know, happy to be here. Again, my name is Moish Peltz, uh, lawyer in New York, and been practicing IP. And I, and I see like, you know, chat GPT and, and all the interesting uh, legal consequences of it and people chatting about it. And so I thought I would jump into the fray and using chat GPT quickly drafted a, a, a blog post. And uh, I, I think the, the imagery is equally interesting, which was generated with, with Dolly, um, also by OpenAI. And uh, some breaking news I can share today is that I, I actually also applied for a, a copyright application for the blog post. So check in with me in you know, six months or so and see how the copyright office reviews it. But I just think the, whole, the whole thing is, is so interesting. LFG, Moish, pushing the boundaries. <laughs> I gotta say, no, that's... And it's not just a, a joke, like the way that you, you did something fascinating with your ape as well. And I'd like to kind of start there. We kind of have these conversations with our guests. So we'll get to the topic, but I'm going to treat you like a guest for at least a, a little bit here. And I just really admire the practice of law where these individuals, and I've come across uh, folks like you at, at different times in my career that kind of you understand that system and then use it just to see what happens or just to push things or just to like make sure that the copyright or trademark office has to deal with these things and then properly follow up. I don't know what you're, I don't want to speak for you, but like I just was really impressed with both of these instances. So I'm glad that you brought it up again and like speak to like the, why you're doing that, what's the meaning and what you did with your eight. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I I think of this as a conversation. I think there's not a lot of easy answers. And and I do, you know, know people that work at the 
the copyright office and trademark office over the years and have sympathy that, you know, they aren't just automatrons that are responding to these insane applications we throw at them. They're, they're humans and they want to get the right answer and the organizations want to get the right answer. And so a lot of what I do, you know, separate from my day-to-day legal job, right, is working with, you know, I'm on the, the INTA, International Trademark Attorney Committee for blockchain, and we're working with you know, different stakeholders, not just the USPTO, but but them and the Copyright Office and international organizations to, you know, think through like, what are the right answers? And so for me, the way I approach that personally is, well, let's experiment. Let's try to do something on my own account and see what happens. So yeah, you're right for my, um, using my my board ape, which which I've had since, since June of 21, I applied for a trademark application for legal services um, on behalf of my firm, which is the licensee of my ape, uh, that, that I've entered into a, an arrangement with the firm. And um, so the firm has applied for a trademark on, on, on you know, our behalf uh, for those legal services. And we'll see how the trademark office examines that. You know, I was very thoughtful in how I drafted the application and describing the, the characteristics of the mark and, and taking from basically the descriptions that Yugo Lab said for the, the ape, like if you go uh, on the meta field descriptions, like that's what I claimed, right? I'm not claiming every board ape for legal services, but you know, there's ambiguity there. So I, I think exploring those ambiguities, having that dialogue with the trademark office, we'll see what they say. <laughs> Maybe they'll just approve it without any, any feedback. Maybe they won't. Um, is, is just participating and in, in having interest. And like I'm, I'm genuinely interested in the answer and how they approach it. So I couldn't think of a better way to do it. And so that was the same notion, I think, when I drafted um, this blog post with, with, with ChatGPT was, well, you know, I'm seeing a lot out there. Let me, let me try and get a, a good argument out for, you know, how much work is it going to be to say, hey, ChatGPT, talk to me about intellectual property rights of, uh, and copyright in, in content that's being generated by you. And I found it pretty, pretty responsive and pretty quick to get some good content out of it, which I then edited and posted. But you know, the vast majority of the content uh, was was generated by Chat GPT. I just kind of curated it. So you know, it's it's an interesting you know, which plays directly into you know what is copyrightable and what is not. What about the disclaimer? Was that originally there? I just linked to it. I didn't notice it my first read, but there's kind of a a that where you ultimately take responsibility after you, where you explain your process. Was that part of what was submitted? Talk to me about like the nuances there. Yeah. So I submitted it just as it's on the, on the firm's website right now. Okay. Um, and, and including that disclaimer. So, Very you know, cool. I, I would hope that <laughs> that, that flags the issue to the copyright office. It, 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 it may not. I also included uh, so, so the, the disclaimer came from OpenAI, which if you go to OpenAI, that was my next question. Terms you, of service, you, yeah, you, you pulled it from that. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Well, yeah. How, explain to me how that came to creation. Yeah. So, you know, I, as part of this this notion that you that you said that I'm, I'm kind of engaging here is, you know, I wanted to submit a copyright application. I wanted to generate an article that was consistent with the terms provided by OpenAI. Um, OpenAI has, has, you know, terms of service, uh, terms of use and a privacy policy. And it also has a, a uh, content statement, right? It, it says, 
let me pull it up right here. But it basically says if you know if if you're generating content using open AI technology, here's the things that you should say. Um, and so I took that like draft statement and edited it for for this document. But that it comes right from from them and from what they suggest using. And part part of it I think is is being just truthful, right? Is is um, I don't want to hide the ball and not trying to. Uh, to skirt anything here, uh, but but also I, I think just complying with Chat GPT and what they've said and how they want people to identify their content. Um, they say in their terms that that by the the input and output generated, um, you basically they're assigning that output to you. Any copyright, it's part of their terms, and so um, in a sense, they're a co-author that has assigned their copyright to to me as a user of the service, and so that. That was something I took into account in both the disclaimer and the copyright application I submitted. Very cool. Omri, you threw your hand up. Was there something you wanted to jump in? Thanks for joining. Uh, hi, guys. No, no, I was just waving. I was waving a lot, but uh, oh, this is one of my favorite topics. Wave, that's that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a boomer, so probably don't stick <laughs> Love it. We got a great panel of lawyers in the house that are very, very well-versed in AI. Franklin, you legitimately have your hand up. Franklin, you yeah, have a question for Pelts? <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about the distinction because you're talking about the disclaimer that you included in the blog post itself. I'm curious about uh, what you put in your application to register with the Copyright Office, because those of us that are familiar with the registration process for the Copyright Office, there is the opportunity to also disclaim pre-existing works or works that you're not trying or aspects of the work that you're registering. You can disclaim certain aspects of that if, if you don't actually own that or it's not part of what is an original creation for that registration. So can you dive into a little bit about whether or not you took that approach with your registration with the Copyright Office? Yeah, so, uh, and, and I just found it, right? There's a sharing and publication policy that OpenAI has, and that's where I got the language for the disclaimer. And and yeah, the I mean, look, the, it wasn't just like I, I typed in one dialogue into the box and I, and I got back and I copied and pasted and published it. Um, I think that would be a different thing, right? I think that would be much more the the machine is doing all the work. Um, I, I did take se several attempts of going back and forth, and perhaps I should have documented this better, um, and taking those outputs and then combining, you know, multiple outputs together. Um, and so, you know, I, I think from a copyright application perspective, you know, I would think of of both myself and, uh, OpenAI as as co-authors essentially, um, except OpenAI has said that they they assign me their their output. So, um, you know, so I, so that that's how I thought about that. I didn't explicitly exclude anything. I mean, there's nothing here that I know to be uh, prior work product that that has been drawn from anywhere else. I'm sure just the way you know the machine learning algorithm works is there must have been some input that that influences this output. But I don't, I, I can't see into that black box to say, you know, pointing to here's the exclusion that that I would claim. So as far as I know, as far as I can tell, as far as I think if you run the article through a, a plagiarism detector, you know, it there, there's no prior work that is directly one to one that it's taken from that I would know to it to identify as an you exclusion. Wouldn't, you wouldn't yeah. look at the output prior to your edits as a prior work. Is there an analysis to be done there? 
I, I think that's an interesting way to approach it. I, I, I mean, may, maybe that maybe, maybe that that's going to be, be in, in the conversation that the copyright office has or, or whatever. Um, but yeah. That, okay. And, I, right, no, I think you're on the right track there. That's exactly what I think the copyright office is going to ask, but less so from a pre-existing works question and more so from a human authorship question because human authorship is a requirement under copyright law to be able to claim that, that you own, own the work. Um, you cannot register works that are that are not created by human, that are machine generated, generative art, generative works. So I think that's going to be the distinction here. I love the fact that you highlight some of the curating and some of the arrangement to use some of those special words. I think the copyright office likes, um, I think, I think you're great at highlighting that, but I think what we're going to see here is the, the deficiencies in the current registration process with the copyright office, because you can't at the time of registering, you can't really disclose that. What we're seeing right now, and I dropped a link to it in the chat, um, the Copyright Office is actually already in the work, in the middle of backtracking on a work that are registered for Chris Castanova. And you might have seen this in the news, but her her um, her comic book, was her graphic the, novel. The AI yeah, we talked about was, that one. Yeah, that's the one yeah, we discussed. So very yes. novel. And that's exactly what the Copyright Office is currently doing. And she just had counsel submit a response back to the Copyright Office diving into those nuances of how she created that work but ultimately my opinion here and i'll stop talking after this is they're going to probably look at the the computer generated or ai generated generative works and separate that out from what the human author has contributed in in the case of mid-journey and dolly That's you know before we kick it to before we kick it to omri and then near who both have their hand up pelts you touched on this in your blog post that now the other the other thing to consider in this is as more people start to utilize this chat bot to create content, is the chat bot going to have protocols in place to make sure it's not generating already copyrighted content? What do you see as the potential pitfalls, red flags that people need to be aware of when they share this AI generated content as far as potential copyright violations? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. I, I think that's actually the, the biggest ambiguity if you look at OpenAI's terms of service is, is they say, um, I'll, I'll read it here, right? It's you acknowledge that other users may also ask similar questions and receive the same response. Responses that are requested by and generated for other users are not considered your content. So would not would be carved out as something that would be um, assigned to you as, as, as part of the content that's generated by OpenAI. So it raises this question of if I go through this effort to curate a response from chat GPT that I feel is satisfactory and then, and then use that as part of something else, but then another user either independently or, you know, sees you doing that and then, and then kind of backtracks, there seems to be a little bit of a loophole here where, where other users that are generating the exact same content as you somehow I guess, re remove the exclusivity of, of that to you. Um, and, and I think that's a great answer. I think, I think that's probably in, in some respects correct that, you know, if, if someone's just independently using the service and comes up with some similar content, there shouldn't be infringement of, among peers that are using the, the service similarly. Um, but I, I just think the implications there, like it's hard, it's hard to think about second order effects as to what that means down the line. Omri, you've got your hand up, and then I'd love to hear from Nir. Hey, uh, so that, that's a very interesting question. And 
from what I uh, recall, you know, the time of uh, like in university, then that doesn't really tend to happen in the real world. Uh, but now with AI, I think it will happen. Is you know, the offense under copyright is not really that of ending up with the same result. If two works are created independently and they end up being very similar, provided these works are have been created independently, then from what I recall, that's not an infringement. Whereas uh, if, of course, copies, you know, if the work is copied, then here you have the copyright infringement. So I think it's interesting because now that we are you know, and you often look at this theoretically, right? When you're like, you're sitting at uni at the IP class, and they say, "Oh, you know, if uh, theoretically two people end up with the same result, um, then that would not constitute an infringement." But now with AI, you have a tool that uh, has so much inference over the outcome of a particular um, work that you know I think that is more likely to happen. So theoretically, I don't think that would be a copyright infringement unless, like. Uh, uh, Pelz was saying, you know, there is some form of um, exposure to the input and, you know, that input is copied by, say, the second creator that ended up with the similar work in question. Also, <clears throat> Carlo, I sent you a, a link on, via DM to, to post on the conversation because I found that to be very, very interesting and I didn't really expect that to happen. So there is a user on Twitter, RTX, uh, he's, a, he's an artist uh, and a friend, but basically he used mid-journey ability for this and by inputting an Afghan girl with green eye, he ended up effectively with the picture that we all know of, you know, the the, the photograph, the Steve McCurry uh, photograph with a sort of iterations of it. So if you can pin that up, Carlo, I think that, that that's very interesting because it's already happening now and it's quite crazy to see how, you know, how close the, the result is to the original uh, Photograph, and then I and, and then I wonder, you know, can Midjourney really disclaim liability for this through the terms? Because at the end of the day, you know, look at this. <clears throat> now that Carlos pinned it, it's quite remarkable. So, I love it. I love it. And this begs the question for the whole panel: is is this AI technology and has it quickly and very very rapidly learns from itself and evolves? Is this going to make the copyright office's job impossible? And is this going to be the death knell of copyright? I want to hear from Nir, and I want to basically circle back to everyone on that very question. Thank you so much, Carlo. Um, again, and I'm just always so amazed. You're always bringing in really cool topics for us to analyze and talk about, and really bringing up um, some top-notch people um, that are that are really thinking critically on this. So, um, kudos to you guys and, and Lexline. I love it. Um, I'm I'm so sorry I missed part of your your question, and I, I'd be happy to try to address it. I did want to, and so if I'm going off topic here, please bring us back, but um, I was super curious. Uh, Pelt's really cool. Um, I really loved, loved the article too, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about your analysis on the input action, so what you actually put into uh, the generator and your belief that you may own the copyright to that prompt, um, because I think that you know, is, is a very interesting conversation on um, copywriting, the actual prompt part, and then um, be, therefore being able to protect the derivative. Go get him, Bells. Great question. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Great, great question. Um, I, you know, I, would, I wouldn't say that, a, a, you know, look, I, I think there's people that are now, uh, I think prompt engineer is, my, is maybe the, the, the new job title of the month. Um, I, I wouldn't uh, think of myself as that. Um, 
it it does take a few tries to to get a good prompt to give a satisfactory result. I think um, maybe not all the time. I think it's getting better. And but as to whether the prompt itself could be copyrightable, I I would say possibly. Um, just like you know something very short like a tweet could potentially be copyrightable. Um, I think the 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 shortness of it um, isn't isn't dispositive, uh, but. I think it's gonna. It, it certainly makes it harder. So I, I didn't really think about that as as my input being the thing that's being copyrighted. I, I was thinking about the output, but I, I love the question and, and I would love to see examples of someone trying to, you know, protect that. Now I guess what what would that mean, right? If you if you put a prompt into ChatGPT and it, it returns back, sorry, that this prompt has been copyrighted by by another user. Try again. Um, you know, but it, it does raise that question of, you know, if, if people are putting in similar prompts or or even the same prompt, are they getting the same output? Are they getting different outputs? And and then just differentiating, you know, based on the user, the time, the intent, and, and whatever the, the secret sauce that's in the black sauce, you know, thinking about how it's being used, whether it's copyrightable. But I, I think, you know, it it's definitely it depends is the answer there right it depends that's the general consensus in our community about well, most everything <laughs> well things are already protected by copyright and they can be used as prompts so when you say what does it mean i i agree with that's the question like what would it mean you could own the copyright to a prompt but i don't know if you'd be able to stop anyone else from saying it or using it. I don't, it, it begs a whole ton more questions. It's fast. Well, such a yeah. Fire. And there's, there's also oh, that question oh, of okay. if you say, you know, draft a, a novel in the style of Stephen King, right? So you, you, in, you specifically invoke in your prompt other copyrighted content and then it generates something that is, you know, more than an homage, right? It's, it's, it's basically, you know, you, I've seen scripts, I've seen, um, you know, really intelligent outputs that that are in the style of someone, you know, at, at what point, you, know, you think about music, right? Like, you think about some of these music uh, copyright infringement suits where um, it's really the the beat and the rhythm that that's being claimed as protectable. And you could, I, I could, I could see based on recent uh, district court decisions on fair use and music law, like, hey, draft um, uh, some music in the style of X artist. And that that'd be like generating an infringing output. So it, it it's also like invoking other copyrighted content within the the the, the body of your input of your prompt. It, you know, may also maybe even purposely generate infringing output. So fascinating. Before we hear from Omri, I want to hear from Ellie. I want you to share your thoughts on this, and I also would like to pivot Ellie with you because you have very unique perspective on this, having worked in that office. Can you talk about the unique challenges that this tech is going to present to approving copyrights? So uh, first, I work for the trademark office, so the other one. But the close enough, um, I will tell you that I've done extensive research on the apes being trademarked. So I will talk about pel with Pelts about that later. But to go back to the IP, the AI stuff, my, my question, to, and, and I posted in the chat, is would the input be enough uh, what would be the publication requirement and w would that be sufficient to qualify as publication and enough to be copyrightable? That's one. And then two, 
going back to what Pelts were saying about the uh, the style that we're seeing that now with art and we we have the the style itself is not copyrightable so how would you what where's the line between copying a style and actually having copyrightable material used in a new work of art uh, i think we need to have that distinguished line Ellie, those are fascinating points i just want to what if what if you did it publicly on stage you prompt in front of an audience can you copyright that prompt there's your publication and and to the, your second point i think that there's this there's a whole lot of gray area between what is actually on paper in the art world and that world that is created like the in between and that that's what the style is and we've it's it's always been every smart person in art says that they the good artists kind of copy those styles and take from it. So I don't know why this should be any different, but those are really the most fascinating questions. Um, those are just my, t- <laughs> when you said the publication, I, I figured what if a Las Vegas stage and you're doing an AI prompt show. Omri, what's up, man? <clears throat> hey man, super interesting point about what Ellie was saying about style. And that's really what I was about to, to touch on as well, which is, you know, um, I, I think that for copyright infringement to exist, the, the threshold is quite uh, high. So there has to be, you know, a lot of similarities uh, between the work, which is why I think video games really struggle sometimes to, to prove infringement, uh, putting aside, you know, the mechanics, which are not protectable. But um, when it comes to, uh, to to fixation, let's say, or publication, I'm not sure how, whether... Uh, the U.S. standard or how different the U.S. standard is to, say, the U.K. But in terms of, uh, you know, needing a word to be fixed in a tangible medium uh, of expression to to become copyrightable, I believe the database would be sufficient. So... I'm sorry. I tried to hit the heart and I muted you again. I'm terrible at this, Carlo. Take my privileges away, Carlo. I don't know why you're allowing me to run amok on such a stage here. So, so to keep it short, before uh, before Jenko just kicks me off the stage and rags me, but uh, to keep it to, to keep it quite short, what I was saying is that the database itself, being recorded on the database, I think might be sufficient. I'm not sure whether you do need. You, you, I'm not sure whether you need it to be public as well. I think that you just need it to be a medium capable of being reproduced, communicated, perceived. So the, the public element, I'm not sure is required. <clears throat> and I think that uh, performance and uh, it's slightly different, uh, you know, like the copyright protect performance and sort of the qualifying aspect of it very slightly, I think, from written works. So... Um, yeah, I, I meant that the publication <clears throat> as in the, the tangible mini, uh, medium. The fixation. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but I, I think that makes sense that the, yeah. the, the database would be a fixation, but mm-hmm. because OpenAI probably has exclusive access to that database, at least the way it works now is maybe there's a best practice emerging that every prompt you input, you should screenshot and save. So you, one, have a, a record of, of what happened and, and two, in the event there's some sort of need to go back and prove it to the copyright office or some other organization. You have a, a sequential record. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great to have something that's from open AI. So you can kind of have a more verified paper trail than here's that's a screenshot. Probably, I, I, I that's probably that'd... something they need to evolve to where they need to be able to pre- preserve sort of your chat chain in the event that you do get a takedown or, a, or someone contests it that you can say, no, these are my original thoughts that I inputted. 
I think we have it already. You know, I think that we have not on chat GPT, I think, uh, but OpenAI already had, uh, you know, some, um, you know, generative written work capabilities, you know, on the different modules. If you if you start to play with Dali, I think you could go there and, and, and see the history. At least I know you can do it with Dali on the, on the you know, visual work. Uh, but yeah, I don't think the chat has it yet. Okay, Philly <clears throat> is in the house. Ash has his hand up. Philly, what's up? What's good on AI? <laughs> hey guys, good good afternoon, uh, trusted colleagues. Um, so so hey, great conversation, um, and, and not to totally pivot, but I, I just it'd be remiss if we didn't at least introduce this into the conversation. I think so far a lot of this has been focused on the outputs, but I'm equally interested in the conversation about the the inputs and and the feeders into the AI systems and how those uh, how, how copyrighted material fed into it is, is sort of viewed. And uh, in particular, I've been struck, um, you know, first of all, I'm going to give a little bit of flowers to Franklin for uh, his, one of his posts that he did the other day was really the links in it were great. I was, I was looking at everything in there. Um, but I was particularly struck by the British Copyrights Office their position and their sort of intended their stated intention to create a new exception to copyright uh, with regard to TDM, right? So text and data mining. Um, and it looked like, like an all out, <laughs> like, so let me, let me start and just back it up and say, like, I have an inherent bias and I, and I wear it on my sleeve that I'm, I'm pro creator. Um, and, you know, I think that they should be remunerated fairly, if not handsomely. And I do appreciate we can get into the philosophical underpinnings of the purpose of copyright and advancing the useful arts, blah, 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 blah. Right. Anyway, putting all that theoretics aside, um, it just I would describe it as an all out assault. But but other people might say, hey, no, this is a, a well-reasoned policy to basically like open up all copyright to feed into AI systems for the advancement of new tech and, and outputs. And so I thought that was interesting and that's the British copyright office. But the other thing of note, um, was in the, uh, the, the joint response to the Senator Tillis and Kuhn's inquiry about the national commission on artificial intelligence. It, I, I couldn't help but notice that in four pages of, fluff the offices not a single goddamn word about and oh by the way we will take into consideration and look into the protection of artists and creators rights it was very much like you know national security and we have to be the at the forefront of innovation and we can't god forbid we lose any steps to china or but you know i'm not making china the boogeyman I can, you know name your foreign entity but i i just felt like uh, there's a debate to be had here about the value, possibly the remuneration of using copyrighted works to feed AI systems to further output additional potentially copyrighted works. And I'd love to, you know, just hear the, the panel's thoughts on that. I'd love, to, first of all, I wish, I wish these spaces had a fire button because Ash, that's fire. I agree with you on Franklin. Franklin's new to the Supreme Court of Web3 DM, but Man, he's quickly rising to MVP status. He puts out some great content. Um, Omri, love to hear from you. Ira's in the house too, so please throw up some hands. What a great conversation you've opened up, Pelts. Uh, Ash, love your points about you know about policy, and uh, I think it's 
you know, looking at the policy is probably one of the most important aspects uh, to try and understand where the law is, how the law is developing. Sorry, I can't really speak. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me today. But um, in terms of, I wanted to, to ask you a question, Ash, because of course you're you're a music producer and you're pretty heavy into music. So if you look at, for example, sampling as a production, music production technique, <clears throat> I think that's interesting because if you take, you know, I think the approach that, um, you know, the, the court is taken in the US is quite different from the one in the UK. And what, what do you think about sampling as a technique, you know, to take a work that is protected under copyright, taking a snippet of it, and then, you know, working around with it in order to produce something new? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought this up because this is a subject near and dear to my heart. And philosophically, I, I'd be happy to go off on about the, the, the introduction of intelligent music creation tools that get further and further away from the kinetic, tactile creation of music on analog instruments. But that putting that aside, I have absolutely no problem with sampling. It's given rise to an entire genre, the most popular genre of music in the world today. I think the distinguishing feature there is, is that you cannot illegally sample something. Now, there's a culture of illegal sampling, but technically speaking, the original composition and sound recording holder, you know, rights holders have to be compensated for that, and you have to ask their permission. And so you can derivate off it, and you can you know, iterate and create different you know, derivative works, sure, but fundamentally the law, the policy is still that you got to compensate them. So my concern is about scraping... You know, it's almost like this bit too big to fail thing. Like, there's this. Well, I won't get into like a Stalin quote because it's a he's a horrible human being, but he talks about uh, statistics versus tragedy. But what I'm getting at is like in any one, it seems like you know, you look at like Perfect Ten, right? The Perfect Ten ruling, and I'm reminded of that with Google a lot, where it's like the whole transformative thing, right? We're taking all these copyrighted inputs. And based on the four factor analysis, we've come to the conclusion that, you know, it's this is fair use because you're creating something new and useful. And, you know, it, it just lines up. Right. The, the weight is in the favor of that. So maybe that's the argument to be made here for AI inputs, which is like in any given instance, what we're taking is de minimis, even though in total it's a huge body of work and we're stealing in mass out oh, stealing. Right. You can hear my bias come out. But but. Uh, but the net output is a positive goods for society that, you know, perpetuates, uh, development tech and advancement. But just to get back to your question about sampling, I have no problem with that. Again, it's just, but cause they're, you know, legally you're supposed to remunerate the original inventor. So there seems to be basically the main problem seems to be that of understanding how to remunerate data through which, um, you know, the different businesses train their models. And I think that's a very interesting topic, right? Like, so how how do you reward the, the, the use of proprietary data? Right. So, 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 but it goes one layer deeper, right? Because we don't really recognize the moral right in the United States, but internationally it's recognized. And so, you know, look, even if the, the net amount of cognizable uh, material of yours that ends up in an AI output is like sort of infinitesimal. So maybe you don't really have a real claim. Like you've, uh, you know, you, you, you've disparaged my life's work and cast it in this other crazy light. If you're saying in the style of, you know, me or ex, you know, author, but it's not just about remuneration. Cause if you look at the copyright Alliance in the United States, their position is, is that we should, there, there currently is free market licensing regimes to scrape, 
you know, AI or uh, data to input AI and feed systems. And we should allow that to burgeon. So we shouldn't make this carte blanche copyright policy that says, you know, for the purposes of TDM, like the British office does or is going to, says you can just take it. And it's just a, it's a it's an acceptable use under exception under fair, you know, under copyright policy. So, yes, there's the free market licensing side of it, which, you know, is debatable because I admit that can be. There's some arguments about that in, in the music world. There's an analogy with BMI and ASCAP and collective licensing. And da, 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 da. Uh, but on top of that, I think there's a, 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 a I am a f- big proponent of moral destiny when it comes to the arts. And I think that creators should have the ability to uh, to, to control the moral implications of their works. That's just my own personal bias. But that's say. Yeah, those are really great points can i can we stay here a minute carlo or did you have no 100 percent. i love where this is going is this current system insufficient to just say to just look take music out of it um to just look at the image and say is this an infringing work regardless of the influence of the style like the system has never kind of protected style or look has it so so why is it expected here or are we just trying to evolve it and grow with your point yeah so great great question uh i want to be very clear i'm not a fan of monopolizing style right that's the whole robin thick blurred lines case and argument like i i it's a bridge too far i think that if there's like cognizable like appropriation of actual art in in the output that I think could be actionable, although although I imagine it would probably be hard to prove or or it could be unless it's like a one for one. But then I guess there's this other. So, so I think that's the answer to your question. Um, if not, I'm happy to elaborate. So you think you think the current regime is insufficient to catch things that are closer than style that are more appropriating than style? Ellie, what do you think? Did your hand go up and then down? Yeah, because I was going to add to that because I don't know that I necessarily agree just because when Lens AI came out, there were some artists who have been claiming that they their their style, quote unquote, has been used because they know there's this website where you could go and check whether anything that you've created was used to train any AI machine. And I forget the link. I'll post it later. But um, anyway, some of these artists, all kind of like a similar style as their creations and they went to the website and then found that the ai system which is diffusion that's that use is the underlying um, system using the lens application or the lens system um, was used with their work to train that ai machine so now all the pictures that you see of people kind of posting them all over instagram is they look like their work of art but it was ai created so how do you define, where's the line between like, this is the style of work that I've created. Um, and this is, you know, you, you're using it to train your machine, but you're not paying me anything for it. But is that a new question? I don't think so. I think it's, it's it goes back to the style. Like, is this the style yeah, of AI like, doesn't create. The line? Go ahead, Pelt. Yeah. I was going to throw in the, the notion of, you know, the, the, Authors Guild versus Google type decision of, you know, pretty notoriously Google basically indexed 
every book and every library and whatever without paying anyone and made it searchable. And then, you know, so, so, and, and they, they got sued by a group of authors and the second circuit um, court said it's fair use, it's transformative to do that. And the Supreme court denied certiorari. So, but it's, it's interesting, right? Cause I would think, you know, Google now is, is this fair user of basically compiling all of, you know, the, 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 the collected works of civilization and providing access and searchability and, and metadata for it. Um, but then you could see, well, a user of that service, just if, if they use it in an infringing way or they use a work that's been collected by Google in an infringing way, there's a different use case. So I could see, you know, a similar framework here where based on the use, that's something that, you know, OpenAI is doing to collect or, or diffusion one of those services to to compile all these works in, in, in some arguably um, transformative fair use manner and make a, a service available doesn't mean that a user that then uses that service in such a way as to be infringing isn't infringing. Um, so I think there's there's kind of you have to figure out what the use is in the context. Um, but then also, you know, it just kind of re- reminds me of, you know, I got asked about um, artists on DeviantArt had like, you know, Sam was what Ellie was just saying, um, basically had taken their their art was was ripped off and then used uh, to create NFTs and do all these things. And so it's kind of echoing that conversation that, that we were having like a year or two ago at this point. So anyways, all, all good thoughts, everyone. Ira, Hello. welcome. Glad that you're coming up to speak. Yo. Always appreciate you joining us. Well, that, thank you very much. I was listening to Kevin O'Leary's testimony. Um, so good. Let's introduce this now because uh, it's fun to show how these issues come around again. But it's all sounding to me like the Sony doctrine, which is kind of like the old wine in a new bottle, which is, uh, you know, systems capable of dual use. It's a dual use technology. As long as they're capable of substantial non-infringing uses, they're not going to be primary or secondary infringers. And so even if we were to embrace kind of a lax theory um, for things like chat GTP and its ingestion, and let's assume that, you know, folks could do a lot of infringing things using chat GTP. But one of the things they could do, which I think people will consider not to be infringing, is merely just asking historical questions, you know. And so the ingestion, if it could even just render answers to good faith questions about history, would allow for the ingestion, even if that same data could be used to infringe. So you're, you're back into the, not only the Google case, but in the Sony doctrine, because if there's any substantial non-infringing use for the ingestion, it's game over on a case against them. Now it comes down to the users and whether or not they're using the dual use technology for infringing uses. The only issue here though, (laughs) that's not the only issue it would be, uh, is this ever something where you could do DMCA takedowns to this arbitrary gestalt methodology um, probably not very effective ones. So I think the remedy in the future will be for folks to go after the folks who are doing the infringing and not after the dual use technology. So that's kind of my, my diatribe. Ira, thank you for your thoughts. Um, Ash has a hand up. I want to, first of all, call out Zach, who's in the house. Zach is one of our OGs, the founder of the Barristers, Blockchain Barristers Discord. And uh, I think to a large extent, one of the reasons that we're all here together. So shout out to Zach. Um, 
I'm going to circle back to the question I had before, which is, is this technology going to ultimately make it impossible to enforce copyrights? And is it the ultimate demise of copyright? Because I got to believe that as this chatbot is evolving and people are coding and using it in existing applications, the copyright troll attorneys that are out there scouring the internet for violations are going to also be integrating this AI technology into rapidly detecting copyright infringement content and just flooding the marketplace with threats of lawsuits and and settlement letters. I'd love to get thoughts on that from you, Peltz, because you've applied for a copyright on this AI-generated work. Where do you see this going in the future? <laughs> yeah, the the future of the practice of law um, is, is a whole time. You know, we could have a whole separate textbook about that. Um, and yeah, I, I look, I, I never want to get too high or too low, right? I would never say this is the the demise of copyright. I think it, it's just a, you know, perhaps we're now peeking behind the corner of a new era of content generation, which is going to lead to a new era of uh, IP litigation about that content and, and who owns what and who can use it in whatever way. So, you know, I, I agree. I think it was Ash that said, right, you know, just having sympathy for the the the, the art creators and artists and people that, that are now seeing their works uh, you know, uncompensated. And I would hope a lot of this technology and in, including blockchain just allows for a way for, for authors and creators to be more fairly compensated um, as much as possible. But I don't, I don't see this being the, the demise of copyright law. And yeah, there's going to be entrepreneurial uh, plaintiffs. Copyright bar uh, is definitely going to be finding a way, finding an angle uh, to, to make some, some dollars here for sure. Uh, responding to Ira, uh, OpenAI does have a, a DMCA takedown notice as part of their their policy. Um, so you know if if you do see you know hey I know a hundred of my works have been ripped off and uh, you know you could you could always submit something there and see what happens. Um, might be hard to prove that right. I don't know how you would really really trace an output to your input as part of a collected work. Um, I'd be curious to know if anyone's seen examples of, of like, I know my work must have been used as an input in, in this system. I guess someone mentioned it for, for some of the visual generators, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I would counter what you said though, is, is if you're a plaintiff's bar, uh, unless it's a big corporate user that's, that's using AI generated work. Um, I, I would imagine the services are going to be the ones that are going to be, be a, a better defendant from a, extracting a, a quick and and uh, juicy settlement. So that, that'll be interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the well, you're right. I mean, that's been my large part of my litigation practice. But but um, but um we don't, I don't like the juicy settlement part. But here's the thing. Um, if we were to trace this, uh, you know, let's assume the ingestion is capable of substantial non-infringing uses. Uh, and the outputs are determined in a gestalt way, but maybe by user query. And it doesn't take on a character of infringement until somebody actually crosses the line on the output level and then essentially publishes it. Uh, it's going to be really hard for DMCA takedowns. My guess is, not my guess, maybe what OpenAI is doing is there are suppression lists that are designed to make it so that 
they could use some form of AI to, to make it so that inputs are not identical to the outputs. But there's only so far that that can go. So maybe the DMCA would be kind of like a novel uh, usage of one of the four areas of DMCA takedowns where they could use a suppression list to avoid infringing outputs. But in terms of this other issue, Pelts, which I would love to hear your input on, um, the way that I'm looking at OpenAI and other, other tools, it looks like folks being able to copyright the outputs will be very, very challenging. Uh, because at the end of the day, the question really, when you trace it back, is is OpenAI and others giving you just a license? Or are they assigning you copyrights? And if they're just giving you a license, even if it smells like copyright, well, someone who's a licensee, unless they change it or add to it, they don't have standing to get a copyright on it. It would be OpenAI and its algorithms and its engineers who may have a shot at it, but if folks are able to then take the outputs, create their own little app that puts their own personality and copyrighted materials on top of it, that might be a better argument at that point for folks to be able to, to get their own copyrights, but it wouldn't be on the heels of the outputs. It would be on the additional inputs. So that's kind of the, uh, the issue there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree, right? I think, I think the raw output without further editing is going to be a, a an uphill climb for sure. Um, and I think, I think when I was thinking about a part of what I was conscious about was, you know, doing multiple outputs and, and stitching them together and, and curating that right as part of the, the human, <laughs> the added human element, which, which may not have been necessary, but, but was, was, you know, done at least in some cases. I, I, I mentioned earlier, open AI specifically in their terms of service, um, which I, I can I can post if someone wants to do it. They they provide an assignment you know, hereby assigns to you all right title and interest into the output. Um, so th I, I think that was done purposely so that users could one be a little bit more secure that it's a an assignment versus a license, but then also that to the extent that work is incorporated into some now you know second level work that you have the ability to go and claim uh, copyright in that work. So. I agree with you, though, Ira. It's going it, 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 to it's gonna be used in all sorts of weird ways, and a lot of people are going to just take the output direct and use that. And people, you know, you see a lot of examples of people um, doing that already, and you see claims people saying, "Hey, I just started a, a startup, and I, I have a ten-page website, and I just used raw output for nine of the ten pages without editing, and it was good enough to get my business started." Right. right. So. I think you're going to see a lot of that and it's going to create a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, I don't know if it matters in that context. I'm thinking more about like what are the, the traditional ways where you're going to see like real contested infringement. But um, it, it certainly raises the, the fact pattern that you're like, oh, that's interesting. Jenko, can we go a little long today? Because this is turning into a really fascinating conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I want, to, I want to get, go ahead. Sorry. Ira. One quick point. Cause Pelts raised a brilliant point. Um, when we were looking over the open AI terms. We did see the copyright assignment, but one of my uh, super, super bright colleagues pointed out that we can't sometimes look at what the sub, you know, the words are that are being used, but the substance. And they have this collision between a copyright assignment, but also making it so that everything that they're outputting, they could use again to give to others. And the problem here may be the collision may lead to substantively 
the non-real granting of copyright, but actually may be a license in disguise given how you really can't have a monopoly over what you're getting. So a court may one day come back and basically say, this is nothing more than a non-exclusive license in disguise. And so that's, that's kind of the problem that, that we're seeing. Before we hear from Omri, I want to pivot back to something that Jenko raised and you talked about pelts, which I want to hear from Ira on this too, is you applying to trademark your ape. We've talked about the enforceability of the license that the apes provide, and this is a groundbreaking thing that you're doing. And I'd love to get, I'd love you to restate that briefly for Ira, because I don't think he was here for that. And I'd love to move the conversation to that as well, because I think that is also some pretty breaking news for the space as well. But first, Omri. If I can just, so just one question to Ira about what, what he just mentioned that I think is very, very interesting and why I don't think, you know, assignments of uh, copyright through NFT can work really well based on, you know, projects that have tried to do that. But what could be interesting is if um, OpenAI was to assign you the copyright and, you know, as part of that assignment, there is a direct license deck. So, I, and I, you know, I don't expect the terms cover that. But you could have an assignment potentially and concurrently to that assignment. And actually, I have that assignment being subject to a license back of the rights uh, that, you know, is perhaps non-terminable for the duration of the, for the lifetime of the writer. I think that that's maybe how they could go around it. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. But, um, and Carlo, if the, if the question that I'm about to ask, you know, goes beyond the scope, just no problem. We can. You know, you can, we can deal with it another time. But you find yourself you in the audience, Amri, real proceed, quick. Proceed, <laughs> I know. Proceed, counsel. Know, proceed. Right. It's I... like when Molly Coyote's standing on the edge and he pulls his own rope. But go ahead. <laughs> so basically, you know, we focused a lot on the on the output, right? On what happened with the with the output, and I'm really interested on the uh, how these companies are training the models. So, especially the this sort of phenomenon that uh, I've tried to label as the Pac-Man dilemma and i don't know if it applies or not but what happens if a model is trained by consuming material that is copy that is you know covered by a copyleft uh, open source license does that mean that the entire model now needs to be you know offered um through the same license and i think that's quite interesting because then if there is a way to track you know the material that the model has used to to, to be trained then if the if something was fed to that algorithm, you know, to that model that is covered by copyleft, then I suspect every no one would have any sort of IP, right? Because everything would be offered on the same basis as the, you know, as that material. Does it make sense? But would it, wouldn't it be a derivative at that point? And derivatives <clears throat> can't have their own copyright I, with, I, with additional, you know, with the open source, with, et cetera. I think you're also uh, into the, the authors versus Google context where even if there's you know even if it's just a non-permissive license you can only only use my work for under you know a direct license um you're there's a fair use in just scooping all these things up and collecting them so i mean i i don't i'm sure this will be litigated at some point um but, but i need it, to take the opportunity um refinish your thought please so, yeah sir so pants you think that the fair use would disapply the license the copyleft license yeah, it doesn't matter. I think I think the argument under like Authors Guild would be that it doesn't matter what the license is. It doesn't matter if it's Creative Commons or you know just like full copyright or, or something else. Um, the, the Google is is taking every book in all of every library that ever existed and 
doesn't matter what license Google has there. They have a fair use to, to do that and to collect those works. Now, I don't know if that's going to apply to what the services are doing here for, for machine learning and, and AI mm-hmm. generation, but that that's an argument that I'm sure they'll try and make. And are there conditions on that particular uh, for use? So for example, like, Parody was recently introduced in the EU, you know, and, and by virtue of that in the UK before Brexit. Um, and so, but, you know, the, the mo- and I guess in the UK, it, it happens in the same way. The moment you start commercializing the, the work, then, you know, fair use or at least parody start to, you know, go down in terms of, you know, how likely it is to apply. So uh, do you think that then if someone tries to use a particular work commercially, then the fair use defense would, you know, uh, sort of become slimmer? Yeah, for for sure, that's one of the factors in the in the fair use analysis. And you know, mm-hmm. Ira had some some good, <laughs> a, a good left. argument there. Like... He left on the on the Sony <laughs> on the Sony doctrine. And yeah, I mean, look, it's it's you have the service that's collecting the works, and you have whatever the end user is doing with it. And there there'd be potentially different analyses for each use. For to, with respect that's... to Ash, to, to respect Ash's point about creators. And I don't want to pivot too much, but before we wrap up, I don't know how, how much longer we'll go, Carlo, but I'm game. I want. I know. I think I uh, we'll continue the conversation. We'll okay. continue the conversation about uh, trademarking the ape for another day, but let's stay on this. And I like okay. where you're going, Jenko. Yeah, I, I just want to understand, and, and I want Omri to speak. I'm going to go right around. Omri, I need to hear Ash. I need to hear Ellie on this. I need to hear Pelts. Carlo, you can email me your thoughts later. I, I, I'm, I'm curious about written word or an image we've never had an inquiry into what the there's a first creator and a second creator there's a first work and a second work how much before this ai discussion how much have we done an inquiry into the motivations and influences of artist number two or do we just look on the face of work number two and compare it to work number one? Because I don't see how AI changes it. It just lets the artist iterate a billion times faster is my understanding of, of AI. So is it a question, are, are we trying to come in with a new rubric or where am I seeing that there's a hole? It, 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 does that make sense? Omri, and then I need to hear Ellie and Ash. Go ahead. Pelt. So in the UK, at least, yes, it's a comparative analysis. And you can see that, for example, in video games. Like they put, you know, frames side by side and they compare and see whether there is a substantial uh, similarity between the two works, between the original work and the one that, you know, is disputed as being an infringement. So <clears throat> that's that's my understanding. Yeah. It'd be a, so a Ellie, what's analysis. the new, why is this debate new? Or is it? Or what new questions are trying to be tackled here? Because the if the output is different enough, why do we care or why are we now questioning the influence of artist number two? I think the training of to mass produce their work, I think that's a real question because that now it's being mass produced through the AI system. But I mean, if we look at it from like a inspirational quote unquote like view, then I guess we, we go back to what Amri was saying and just comparatively analyze whether you know is this really just merely inspiration and or is this crossing the line of actually appropriating the the previous the original work 
But I mean, I, I get your point. I also get the point of the artist of, you know, if you see your work after, you know, you have a very specific style and you see that being replicated in mass, then I, I see their side too. If there's a style, an copy a style just as easy as an AI can now copy a style. And there's no recourse currently for that. Or it's just en masse that kind of introduces new problems. I don't want to harp on it, but go ahead, Armin. I, I think, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from. And even if, you know, the substance of it is not changed, it's the, the manner in which the risk um, is manifested that I think changed. And I think if we draw a parallel to say peer-to-peer -peer technology, you know, just the advent of the internet and the ability to distribute at scale uh, copyrighted work or, you know, proprietary work in general, then, you know, the internet raised concern because the ability of people now to infringe just went, you know, <laughs> took off, you know, and went to the moon because um, before that, maybe you could copy, you know, tapes and then uh, CDs and so on. But then with the internet, you could do that at scale and that becomes a problem for enforcement because I think uh, IP is a like the Achilles, Achilles tendon to IP is enforcement at scale. So now with AI, you're just able to, you know, not even understand how much of a you know of an original work is being uh, used in connection with your own work and the scale of that is just you know out of control and out of even our understanding so i think that that's what, why the concern comes about that makes sense ash yeah i think that goes back to my point this is the point i was making earlier it wasn't said eloquently but it's the too big to fail thing it's just it, it because the scale at which like in let's call it 2.0 or pre-ai you you had a modicum of a chance of of readily identifying the infringement and 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 tracing the the genesis source but i think a potential danger here is that it becomes so ubiquitous and and so large scale and so widespread that the, you just have no practical way to trace it back or even action action like and and to your point, I, I think there is a question. It's it's always this in this regard. It's not new at all. There's always been this debate around appropriation and appropriation art and in the style of. But you know, I I, I know like your PFP is uh, Corey Van Van Vanderloo. Is that is that how you pronounce it or whatever? Right, Van Loo. Uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, shouts out to the forthcoming Rug Radio PFPs that we're all looking forward to getting. <laughs> um, but like, it's a very very distinct style, and so. If his, if all of a sudden, you know, there were uh, mirrored collections by other artists coming along, you know, there is an old age old question there of like, what is actionable? How much have you appropriated? Like, and, and, and I think the courts typically it's a fact intensive inquiry and it, it, you know, whether using the intrinsic extrinsic test or any other, the number of tests um, it's there. And, and so I don't think that the argument's novel, I but I do think like what, is different about this is the sort of scale and inability to 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 take action on it if 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 you were to be infringed that being said however i just kind of not to detract because i want to make one of the side point which is I, I came into this conversation a few weeks back when it started to pop off you know utterly biased and i'm like there's just you know it's the copyrights right any you know co computer assisted or generative work shouldn't be shouldn't be copyrightable blah 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 but I have to say, for anybody who hasn't read the um, Castanova letter, the response to the Copyright Office, 
they make a really, really convincing argument, or at least they go, it, it demonstrates exactly how much work can go into these outputs. Um, and, and so it, it definitely has me reconfiguring my personal opinion. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, like, is there a third way? Is there a, a, a third classification of copyright protection that maybe it's just thin copyright protection and maybe it's not subject to the, the full deference of, you know, like the pre-AI work, but maybe it's not a zero copyright protection. I, I think the answer may, may lay in there somewhere. The UK has it, the joint authorship. So Omri, floor is yours. Are you talking about yeah. the computer-generated works yeah. protection? <clears throat> yeah. Yes. Yeah, computer-generated work. But uh, Ash, you know, as you, as you expanded on the point, I think probably what makes everyone uncomfortable is the lack of transparency that goes into, you know, the output in that we don't really know um, what material is being used and the extent to which it is being used. And to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure how each model operates. And I guess the different models will operate slightly differently one from the other. But going back to music, I don't know if anyone is familiar, and I'm sure Ash is familiar with this, uh, but there is a website called Who Sample, and uh, it basically allows you to see, you know, if uh, on a certain track, um, there were samples and what are the original tracks that were sampled in order to produce the new one. So I think perhaps one of the solutions to this could be more transparency on how the model operates so that when you get the output, you can also get some form of, you know, uh, transparency over what works were processed and combined together in order to give you that output. I'm not sure if that can happen from a technology, from a you know tech perspective, but I think that would be quite interesting to see, okay, this is my output lift it processed x amount of this work and then you it's much easier to see you know whether there was um a, an actual copying of the original work or whether you know the model used it in a certain way whereby you know it processes the information but it doesn't copy any part of it i think that could be interesting but again i don't know whether that is something that can can be implemented fascinating conversation i mean i love it go ahead the ash you know, I just had I had to. Oh, sorry. I just had to end uh, on some levity and and uh, disclosure here, which is funny. The other day, um, so I've been talking with a few companies about coming in house, and one of them followed up with me about, you know, write a cover letter. You know, can you can you sort of expound upon, you know, your experiences and you know cover letter and da 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 da. da. But part of it was sort of your familiarity with emerging tech and AI and da 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 da. So I was like, fuck it, like, let's do this. So I just, I, cause I wanted to, I wanted to be able to go back to the company. So I literally took the job description. I took my resume, I threw it in chat GPI and I was like, write me a cover letter. And I just literally shot it to the company. I was like, well, let's see where those chips fall. But I was just thought it was a funny use case and, I'll, and, and, and who knows, it could completely backfire me or they love it. And I go, oh, by the way, guess what? <laughs> that was that familiarity with uh, AI tech right there. That's perfect. That's awesome. Another fire show. Pelts, killed today, man. What a great conversation. And I think it's definitely to be continued as we continue to unpack the implications of this tech and how it's going to change how we do everything. Agree, Jenko? Yes. Um, yeah. I, I just, I, I, the, the copyright stuff is as interesting as it is it's it's becoming clear it's just a sliver of all of the questions that this is going to open up 
um, ownership and, and all sorts of things. What if you, what if the prompt was already a copy written, like, like not the prompt, the, the output was like something that was already written that wasn't put in because it was like written in 2022 and copywritten and the thing just, you know, came up with it itself. So many awesome questions, man. Thanks for hosting everyone. Thank you so much for joining Pelts. Fascinating. I don't even know how to recap, Carlo. Should we recap? Well, well, we'll definitely. Oh, absolutely, Pelts. What we will do, Pelts, is we're going to break down some of these clips of of things we've discussed here and circulate them. And to anyone who missed this, this is definitely worth a replay because we we touched on some very groundbreaking stuff here. I'm excited to see where your copyright application for the blog post is going to go. And I definitely want to continue the conversation one day about you trademarking the ape because I think there's a lot of apes out there who will be very curious to know how that's going to go. So that's let's 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 say to be continued, everyone. And I think we have Arturo out there who's joined us a couple of times. He's a, 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 a rug radio host that's an attorney that's starting a show. So um, thanks for everyone that's that, that joined today. Peace. All right. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. Peace, everyone. Thank you.